Be good. <laughs> Hello there. I'm going to keep this short and I'm going to keep it sweet. This is an episode of the Monkey Tooth Podcast. I'm Andrew with my wife, Tiffany, and our dog, Pele. We're doing a podcast, just like everybody else in the world is doing a podcast. Except ours has got kind of the best people on it, including today's guest, a guy named Josh Short. Josh is an artist, lives in San Francisco, built his own radio station. He's built his own arcade. He's a very cool guy, and you're going to hear all about him because he's great. And he's coming up right now. Uh, if you like us, you can go to our website, mtp.dog. There's all kinds of ways to get involved with our journey. And if you're not interested in that and just want to listen, well, congratulations. You can do it all you like. It's free. Love it. Okay, Josh Short coming up right now. Have fun. Do interesting things. Until next time, bye-bye. Well, thanks, Josh. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm thrilled to meet you it's kind of crazy that like you know my sister yeah how do you know my sister okay so uh i well the first second time i was in memphis i uh i met your sister uh because she uh was friends with jamie Harmon and uh of america and uh oh, the, it's a photo booth right like a traveling photo yeah booth thing. exactly and yeah. he has his studio there and so i was camping out and uh, I was putting together a radio station, and um, I think Jamie put a call out because he knows everybody, and was just like, "There's this weirdo artist in town, you know, it, he needs to meet people." And uh, your sister at the time was working over at the college, yeah. Memphis College of the Arts, and she was just like, "I want to meet you. Like, maybe you can come talk to my class or something." And I was like, "Sure." And uh, and then I was like, "Hey, Colleen, I need to make a." A poster i want to make a broadside for um all the events because i was amassing a bunch of events and she was kind enough to you know put me in touch with one of her students and uh yeah the rest is history we just you know became friends after that so whenever i'm traveling through memphis i'm always like what's up colleen that's great man. now i go and you know she fixes drinks over at tsunami yeah and, you know i'll go she hang out with me her drink yeah she's great that's awesome yeah so uh when you were in Memphis, you, did you conceive of the project in Memphis or? Um, I didn't know. It was, uh, at the time I was, I started Bomb Shelter Radio, I think 2009. It was part of uh, my graduate work. So I was like, I got into school, UC Davis, and I went through it. And I kind of stumbled upon Pirate Radio by accident. Um, I was working with... Um, at the time I was working with, uh, making driving simulators. So what I wanted to do is just like, kind of like arcade games, but I wanted to make manual ones. And that's like a big, like big part of my artwork still. Um, but I discovered that if you, you know, these remote cameras, they worked on FM radio frequencies and you could tune them in. So it was, it was cool. I was like, well, if I'm making driving simulators, and that uses FM broadcasting. Why don't I learn how to do pirate radio? And then I'll have a radio station for the driving simulators. 
So um, I started working on these projects that were like, you know, you would sit down in front of a TV. I had this like, you know, my artistic sensibilities are all like mashup kind of assemblage style stuff, but with electronics, like I'll go to the dump and collect different kinds of electronics and mash them all together into some kind of like, you know, like kinetic artwork or electronic sound based stuff. Um, anyways, so that's how I kind of stumbled upon radio was, you know, by working with these, uh, wireless cameras okay. and, uh, and yeah, so, f you know, the radio station kind of started out of, um, this, this investigation that I was working with, you know, I'm like of the generation of, uh, the cold war, like second era cold war. And I think you're, we're probably the same age, but you know, as part of my, my youth, there was like this kind of rivalry between the United States and Russia, right. And the big superpowers and like the 11th hour. And, uh, you know, at the same time, like there was, it was a different brand of fear than what, you know, people post-war yeah. people were dealing with, but, it sort of like resurged during the early eighties. And so anyways, this was like some of the material I was mining in grad school. I was like looking at like, why did I get involved with martial arts? You know, why, you know, like what was that all about? And then that led me down this road of like the American hero, um, yeah. uh, like, uh, archetype. Right. And that has everything to do with like old movies, like lethal weapon, right. The buddy cop stories, <laughs> yeah. you know, totally. and then, it, you know, because like buddy cop movies, they would always be like, like how far into the, um, movie is, you know, are we going to have to wait until they get their badge and their gun taken away? Yeah. And then they have to, uh, you know, go and fight without the law right they have to yeah. do like real just like justice yeah and so this was the american warrior spirit right and i found sure. myself like looking into like uh you know old westerns right and sort of like why men are socialized the way they are you know and like what you know and this is, the american warrior is this very stoic kind of like go it alone kind of guy you know like doesn't want to have to like fight doesn't want to have to do these things but you know the hand is forced so anyways this is the kind of stuff that like i was like indoctrinated with as a kid sure and that led me to martial arts you know and what would you study? What kind of martial arts? I was in the Taekwondo. And so by my junior year of high school, I was like running my own karate school. I was deep into it, man. Cause you know, the thing was, is like, I was a quitter as a kid. I was always like, I didn't like anything. You know, I was always like, I didn't like all this. My stepdad, which I'll get into in a minute, but like he was a radio guy. Um, so I'll circle back around to that. But like, as a kid, I was a, I was a quitter. I didn't like any, I hated sports. You know, I like didn't want to like be involved in any group activities, you know, like school was challenging for me. You know, I was barely like a, I was like a very re like remedial, <laughs> like kind of like poorly. I don't know. Like I was like, how do you say it now? Like I was just kind of borderline there, you know? Yeah. So there's, yeah, I'm sure there's a nice way to say it. Now. Yeah, but anyways, <laughs> so when I wanted to do martial arts, I was like, you know, the karate kid was like the thing, man. I was like, I gotta do that. And I grew up in the Bay Area, and on Friday nights, we would have this thing called Kung Fu Theater. And there was a host, right? 
he would be like, he was this guy, I forgot his name now, but he had a Kung Fu school in San Francisco. And uh, he would uh, was the host of these this Kung Fu show. And, uh, you know, the, the Kung Fu movie would play, you know, and then like during the commercial break, he would come back and show a self-defense technique, you know, and then we'd go back to the movie or whatever. It was like brilliant. I love that stuff, you know. It was like I love the uh, the idea of a host, right? You know, and so that led me to like really want to pursue martial arts. And so when I was of age, my mom was like, "Look, I'm not paying for it. Like until you can drive yourself there and take care of this stuff stuff yourself, like I'm not letting you do it." She had an issue with violence. I won't get into that either, but she didn't want me to like do that stuff. So anyways, I was like 14 15 like got my per- driver's permit you know and i was like boom went down to the karate school and got in and man i was there every day like just into it and it didn't take long for me to become like the assistant instructor so i was working with this guy jeff george was like my first you know teacher and stuff and uh uh he was like a very sort of charismatic guy and just you know my sensei um and uh I just loved him, you know, and then before long, yeah, like I, it kind of took over as like my thing. And so I didn't have a lot of time to get in trouble. Like once I started doing martial arts, like, yeah, it's sort of like, you know, there's something about fighting, like you either do it or you don't, you know, and there's no faking it. And, um, I think I learned that lesson. Like I, it took me going into martial arts and being like, okay, I have to get good at this. And the only way to get good is to like practice. Right. And to have this, um, kind of like, yeah, like this discipline that I wasn't getting in any other, any other way. Like it just wasn't, my background just didn't allow for discipline. Didn't have a father figure, you know, it's like raised by a single mom. And so these guys kind of like provided this thing. So, yeah, I didn't have a lot of time to get in trouble because I was supposed to be this role model um, and this kind of public figure, you know, uh, which so circling back to sort of like what led me to radio, right? What led me to like get into to doing that? Um, I think it, it's tied in really closely with like, yeah, like the American warrior myth, you know, like like masculinity, like what that takes. It had to deal with like my stepdad and he was an old radio guy. Yeah, he worked in, I grew up as a kid, I was a little shithead, like, I didn't really appreciate him, I wanted to do stuff that was, like, football, and, like, you know, like, real, like, what I thought, you know, like, masculine stuff was, but what I didn't realize, you know, until, until... I got older was like, man, this guy was the best, he was doing the coolest shit, he had, like, a Saturday morning radio show he was uncle bob down at uh kkup and cupertino and he would play old like uh bluegrass he was like a bluegrass guy he would take me around to like grateful dead concerts and like bootleg he was like super into bootlegging all that stuff and uh so he was constantly showing me that we went out to radio towers. He used to be one of those guys that would climb up radio towers and uh, fix them. And I remember one time I went out with him and I spent the weekend like inside of one of those uh, buildings where they would house all the like transformers and stuff for the radio station. I remember sleeping on the like aluminum, like, you know, little channel thing there, you know, and just the buzz of electricity was around me as he was like working on these things. And so anyways, 
I think somewhere along the line, like his interest in electronics and, um, you know, just breaking things apart in music were all kind of influenced me, but it sort of like happened subconsciously somehow. I want to pin some of that back together, but oh, I, want yeah. to, I want to ask about, um, I mean, flesh out for me the uh, bomb shelter so I can have a little bit more context to, mm. to put this with. Because, I mean, to just say bomb shelter that you have this portable radio thing, yeah, it doesn't quite get it because you got a lot more going on in there. So just yeah. tell us, tell me what bomb shelter is about. Yeah. So, well, I guess like the other part of the story is I was like an avid like punk rocker. Mm hmm. And, you know, here in the Bay Area, and one of the first shows I went to was, like, the Gilman in, like, late 80s, and it was, like, Fugazi had just put out um, Repeater, that album, and, uh, you know, it was this legendary show, and at the time I had heard of none of these bands, including Fugazi, but it was, like, Fugazi played Nation of Ulysses, um, like uh bikini kill tribate played like it was like the most legendary punk show ever and um i went to it and my head was like blown open like that was the one thing about being in the bay area is that even though i grew up down in fremont which was like kind of a suburban like hellhole like corporate <laughs> slave holding we had access to BART train, right? And so I could come up to the city and go see shows and have this kind of exposure to underground culture, right? Well, the brand of punk rock in the Bay Area was very sort of like left, like super lefty, radical, like anti-war, um, anti-government. You know, I mean, I guess that's all throughout punk rock, but it was very, very, there's a very specific way that... Um, I kind of engaged with it. And so I became very like obsessed, I think with, yeah, like the evils of the American government, you know, um, I, I was very politicized, you know, uh, the long short of it anyways. So when I was in grad school, so circling back to that, right. One of the things I mind and going back to like what I grew up in was like, on one hand, I had this kind of like glossy sort of, American dream version of what it meant to this rivalry with like with the superpower rush. thing. Yeah, the yeah. superpower thing. And like, you know, just militarism was just in your face constantly. And then sort of becoming like more um engaged and aware through punk stuff, it sort of gave me another impression of the world that I lived in. And so I think in grad school I sort of was trying to come to terms with uh with what that meant you know and i kind of started looking into like like prepper stuff you know like shit hits the fan 
you know, end of the world stuff. And I got obsessed with that. You know, I was just like YouTube would just was kicking off and these guys were oh, all yeah. over it. <laughs> and, um, I was just, I was in love with it. I was like, yeah, I want to know. And so I thought about, okay, so the bomb shelter, right? The bomb shelter was endemic of like kind of the American, uh, consciousness for a long time. You know, it was like this thing literally that was underground, right? And my work has always been really underground and punk, you know? So there was that sort of uh, kind of like reference there. But also um, there's this idea that like, you know, the world is collapsing. What do you need like in these kind of situations, right? Like what is it the thing that's going to make you survive other than like, you know, food and rations and stuff. And the thing that I thought mostly about was just like, yeah, you got to entertain yourself, man. You know, you got to have something that's going to nourish your mind. And so I think the bomb shelter radio, like the, the core of that is just like mining up these, uh, these things around our mythology, right? Like these things that this Americana that like, um, we don't, we we have nowadays we have such a um like clicky like um internet kind of version of the world which you know the promise of that is that like there's everything there you can find out anything and in some ways that's like absolutely true but there's something else that you that we're missing you know and um it, it brings everything very close to being nothing yeah, because it's just a solar flare away from not being accessible at all. Right, it's like bringing all this stuff together yeah. so that it can all of it is so close to sinking <laughs> yeah, or yeah. vanishing. It's a it's a weird thing. Like the more we have, it's like so top heavy. Yeah, it can just topple and, and just boosh. Like yeah, if we That's lose our iPhones weird. or yeah. electricity or anything, like what are we left with? And so um, yeah, I think that's why you know, like getting into old vinyl and like. You know, a lot of the records and stuff I find are just stuff I find at, like, flea markets or just, you know, the 25-cent bin or whatever. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like, I've I've uh, really gotten into collecting that stuff and, um, you know, really developing a, a more nuanced, like, um, understanding of old rock and roll, soul music, and punk rock and stuff, you know? So... I like things that are kind of rare and, you know, things that have like a timeless quality. And so, you know, I don't know, like, I think, yeah. So, you know, bomb shelter is this, and if you think about what a bomb shelter is, it's like, you're sort of trying to preserve, you know, a piece of humanity. Right. And, um, you know, and, I think radio is like the one, like one of those things that sort of can connect people. Um, there's like a nostalgia to it that, uh, and like a functional, like it has a purpose that like, you know, kind of goes beyond. Uh, I, yeah. If there is a collapse or something, it's one of these things I think people will lean on. Oh, for sure. Like I, I'm not a huge fan of Michael Franti, but I heard him yeah. live once, and he was like, "Listen, there's two words that I've in all my travels around the world that everybody seemed to know, and it was it used to be taxi, yeah, and radio, yeah, yeah. You know, like those two words were kind of universal. Everybody knew what you meant, knew what you meant. That's and sort of going away, probably. But <laughs> well, I don't think so because 
there's a there man like radio still like when people find out that i'd make radio or something they're just like what oh that's so cool like it uh really is in our imagination you know um it's like the collective consciousness or something and that disembodied faceless voice you know that guides you through a thing well, I think, yeah, exactly. And, you know, the other thing is, is like now the, the trend is these days is like, you're your own curator, right? Like it's all at your fingertips. And, um, we've sort of lost the, the idea of an Oracle, right? And this is one of the most ancient things of like humanity, you know, it's like you go to the Oracle, they'll tell you the, the future, right? Or what's waiting for you. And I think radio DJs, um, absolutely would give you that. And some places like Miami, like they have a pirate radio culture there that's like out of sight, man. I mean, it's just, I'm just learning about it now. But, you know, if you're a rapper in Miami and your your songs get played on the pirate radio station, that's like a big deal, man. Yeah, it's that's cool. That's cool. That's really they, good to know. Yeah, they have a new, they have like a really a, like an amazing network of you know, radio stuff going on there. I don't know why that is. Florida is just a weird place, I guess. I haven't spent much time in Miami. Being close to uh, Cuba, maybe. I don't know. There's some sort of old world value there. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting to me, you were talking about um, sort of the American heroic archetype, that lone wolf kind of guy. And then you talked about like the the concept of a bomb shelter. Yeah. And what uh, that immediately struck in me was like they're both things that have been used to sort of justify a weird all means necessary type of mentality. Yeah. Like the American hero archetype who's like lost his badge and a gun. And yeah. Yeah. He knows justice. So everything's on the table then like yeah. crazy violence, whatever it is, is all suddenly on the table. Yeah. And like these prepper cats mm-hmm. that are just, I mean, I, I get the idea of preserving humanity in a bomb shelter, but a bomb shelter is not typically built for more than like maybe a family. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like a small thing. So you're really saving your own ass. Yeah, it's true. And like it justifies some weird like territorial thing in people. Yeah. So I love that your thing is like, let's just have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's not, you're not like trying to justify anything. You're like, Hey, let's take these weird elements and Mm. make it into something that's like uh, benevolent. Still we've gone from A to Z Doing what comes naturally Doing what comes naturally You don't have to know how to read or write When you're out with a feller in the pale moonlight you don't Speaking of the prepper people, there was one guy I was watching And, you know, like, again, like I fetishize all this stuff So my, you know, the my word is sort of take it for what it is But there's this cat I used to watch and he was one of these real like family first kind of prepper types, right? It's called Southern Prepper One, right? Was his like YouTube handle (laughs) and he made tons of fucking videos, right? Um, But the thing that was interesting about him was like as I would, over the years as I would watch him, so his, his first videos were very much about like, you know, like, okay, why it's important to train like, you know, uh, 
tactical like firearms training you know and like bombs and setting up booby traps and all this stuff to like you know it started off a lot of stuff like that and then i think as he started like going through that and being like okay like i got all that defensive stuff out of the way you started to see like he would start to focus on on things that would make him thrive mm. like farming like raising animals how do you deal with pelts you know yeah. like what about water like how do we deal with water and then it got even to like you know issues of just like how do you deal with your neighbors you know what i mean how do you be neighborly and so i saw this evolution in them you know and and so i think that you got um, a bunch of viewers with the blowing shit up and then we're like okay okay here's, yeah here's how we really do this, this. is how we really got to thrive yeah it's yeah. not rambo every day no like at some points it's little house on the prairie and you just gotta like where do you shit you know where yeah do you, how do you deal with your food what, and, what about a gray water system yeah yeah, you yeah. Know, let's make this a little better how do we thrive you know for sure and so um for sure. yeah i think that uh you know like i took that lesson to heart in a way it's just like and you know i mean i'm not gonna lie man like i'm a kid of the suburbs man what do i know about anything you know, I was just like, it's just fumbling through things. And, uh, you know, I've never been a survivalist necessarily, but as I get older now, I'm just like learning how to hunt and shit like that. And so, you know, there's parts of me that like wants to like have some real like self-sustaining things that aren't necessarily bound to like just making money, you know, or whatever investments, you know, you're making. Um, and so, uh, but you know, at the same time, like I, I, I'm a trained artist and like, that's like, I felt like that was the best thing I could do with myself. But, uh, you know, I'm so discouraged by the the art world these days. Like, I just feel like, uh, there's, there should be more, like, it doesn't seem like the right focus anymore. And I don't know. I mean, it may be just the condition we're in, like culturally in, uh, in our country. Um, or if there's something else going on, you know, like we've gone too far with uh, mediation or something, you know, we're at this point of like, we're so disconnected from each other, you know, and you look at social media and I don't, maybe I'm shaggy dogging right now, but bear with, I'm going to try to wrap, tie this back in, but you know, the, the loudest voices are the ones that get heard right on social media. So it's just like, and um, not only that, but like you're in a vacuum. So you're only going to see the stuff that you want to see. That's like the problem with being the curator, you know, or of like your own, you know, of your own thing. You're like, what do, what do I feel like? You know, sometimes you don't really get the chance to uh, see both sides of the picture, or have a balanced way of seeing the world. Being um, exposed to shit that you don't like is real important. Oh, it's you know huge. I mean? Like to, to know what it is about a thing that you really do like. Yeah. Getting exposed to something that turns you off. Yeah. It, it, it enhances your perspective. And then you might see something that you kind of like in a thing you generally dislike. Yeah. The elements. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's hugely important. I mean, never mind our media literacy and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Just in music. Yeah. Uh -huh. Having a music playlist that's just right. tailored and being, you know, some sort of algorithm of yeah. feeding you, oh, this is similar to that. You'll like this. And yeah. Yeah, I think we miss out on stuff, you know. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Again, going back to radio and why that's so, you know, important. I think one of my influences, I mean, beyond all the like, yeah, like the the Cold War stuff and the stepdad radio guy and, you know, all that stuff. I think when I was coming up in my early 20s, I discovered a pirate radio station we had out of San Francisco called Pirate Cat Radio, and to this day it's still going. It's not doing um 
like actual radio anymore. Now it's just a pod or it's not a, it's like live streaming internet radio. Um, so they don't hit the AM or FM waves anymore. No, it's all online. But at the time it was amazing. I mean, you would turn that sucker on and it was just like post punk, like the best stuff, you know, and maximum rock and roll had a radio show like every Wednesday at like 3 PM. And then at midnight they would do hitchhikers guide to the galaxy. And I remember I would just ride to my studio being like, Oh my God, it's almost midnight. I got to get hitchhikers guide to the galaxy. And then you'd go and work and just listen to this thing. And it was like great magic because you knew that like, Oh my God, this is like, you know, this is happening in my neighborhood mm. and like maybe not many other neighborhoods. It felt special, right? It felt like you were, you were in a scene or something, you know? I mean, I think that's one of the things about punk too, is it, it was like, not everybody knew about it. You know, it was like this cool thing that like, you know, if you only, if you were in the know, yeah. you got to experience. Well, it's talk about being in the know. That was another great thing. I, I hate that. I keep on referring to radio as it was. Sorry. Mm-hmm. It's, I referred to it in the past tense. Because I, I do the same, like we're traveling so much, I tend to just put on our iPod or whatever yeah. and listen to podcasts or music or whatever. Mm-hmm. But with radio, you are in, in a moment, you know, and it's not, it used to be with radio, it was just that show comes on at this time and that's it. Yeah. You know, you're not going to catch it. It's not going to be recorded. You can't right. listen to it online. Yeah. That yeah. was just, it, that show was on from that time to that time. And if mm-hmm. you didn't catch it, well, see you next week. Yeah. And it's that cool kind of ephemeral quality that make, made things like uh, unique yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and momentary and you could kind of really appreciate them because they wouldn't always be around. Mm-hmm. That's I like that about your thing is that you're popping in and out yeah. of of time and space, which yeah, is pretty fun. And, yeah, it's funny. Um, yeah, it's weird. Like one of the, like, if, I, if we can talk about like the artistic part of like what I do, you know? I mean, I archive all my shows so you can definitely go back and like experience them. Like, uh, you know, through podcasts or whatever, or through SoundCloud. But, um, yeah, like, uh, w- one of the things that I try to cultivate in it, you know, especially with, like, the kind of music I, I refer... Like, I mix in a lot of, like, you know, first wave rock and roll and old soul music. And, you know, and then I'll put in, like, weird, you know, movie clips you know, and like things, you know, or old, like, you know, the, I've been getting into just like the first moon landing, you know, recently and like the sound of that transmission. That's so amazing to me, like that, my God, like a transmission came from the moon and vice versa. They transmitted to the moon. They Some dude in Texas. Yeah. And the moon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And just the way that like those voices like move over that, um, you know, waveform, it's like, fucking magical to me and so when i make radio i try to like envision this idea that like this wavelength is going out forever you know and as you travel through space or something you're catching up with it at different times so different eras like move in and out of each other right and they sort of become like one so it's not like there's no real like time limit. It's sort of a liminal space or it's, if I'm using that word, right. But it's like, a, it's a space where it doesn't matter. Like it's all kind of like, it's all kind of one, one uh, sound, one, one sound. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty wild. 
Yeah. And uh, so I'm working more towards that, you know, like uh, one of the things I've been trying to do is, you know, invest in a record cutter because I would really like the radio experience to be all records. Like sometimes I'll just use, I like to record like, or physically like cut records of old movie clips. You know, that's one of the things that like um, people used to do. They used to have these transcribers before they did like, you know, cassette tape. They'd actually have like, um, like an old kind of floppy vinyl, like a wax, yeah, like a wax thing. And then yeah. you would cut a record of you just like, okay, like this is a uh, send this over to so-and-so, you know, or like people would turn on their radio and they would cut a record of like the radio yeah. show or something. Yeah. Anyways, I just learned about this as a, uh, I last time I did a radio thing in um, San Francisco uh, I met this cat well my old friend Julia brought over um, her friend Mick who um, he he collects all these old 78s of just like weird radio advertising or like yeah like stuff you found in somebody's barn you know where they had cut shit off the radio of just old like people playing fiddle and stuff like that. That's it was really amazing. Cool. There's like one of the radio you could like look it up. It's archived. It's um one of the ones I did at the Growlery, but it just was like so neat hearing him do that. So I thought, oh man, the next step I got to do is just record all my stuff to vinyl, and then you know mix it in more, and so it becomes more. I don't know, spacey in a way yeah. or like a atmospheric sort atmospheric. of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. There's I mean, you know, you hear people talk about it all the time, the way that needle mm-hmm. hits the vinyl, you know, that that sound, that even the dust that collects the edge of the needle and all those little things that add yeah, to it, baby. the crackles. Yeah. Even a skip. Mm-hmm. You know. There's something about a digital skip that makes you feel like you're at the dentist yeah. in some fucking way. But uh uh a needle skip on a record just feels like you've got something to do. Yeah. You know, you can do something about that. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can't do much about like a digital skip. No. I don't know. Well, it's funny. Like, uh, the, you know, you're familiar with the golden record they sent out in space. Oh yeah. Yeah. So Voyager one, man, that was like, I'm making an art piece about that now. And I was listening to it. Like what, the, what was on that, you know? And it was amazing. Like how they would curate that. Mm-hmm. Like the first half hour of it is just like, greetings right like hello from earth but in like every language they could yeah think of right. to put, yeah. yeah like that's it, gonna matter <laughs> it was super funny but then like you get into like the radio stuff and they have old like beethoven and you know mm-hmm. like the classics but then they have like chuck berry song on there that's and great. you know stuff of the times so I, I, that's very interesting to me too to think that like voyager one is still out there somewhere like broadcasting this like weird stuff of humanity, you know, and uh, you know who's listening. I like, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not sure that we're listening right now. You know? Yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, just as a culture, anything that we're actually doing. Yeah, it'd be nice to to know that someone actually heard it. You know, I guess maybe we're listening, but we're not necessarily hearing everything that, that we're up to. But <laughs> yeah. I, I'm what I'm. I've got so many things to ask you, but I'm. <laughs> Also, just tripping out over your crazy ass dog. It's funny as hell. He's a he's like we're not sure if he's like very smart or like kind of like on the spectrum somewhere. Yeah. So our dog is real kind of. He's not quite as uh, exuberant, but yeah. he's maniacal with chasing tennis balls and whatever oh, you throw yeah. to him. And I feel like it might be some way of like communicating pain 
Like, mm-hmm. It's this very complex dance, like almost interpretive dance or something. You know? mm-hmm. It's like trying to tell you something that I don't understand. But I think so. Uh, I, I wanted to get back to um, sort of your technological aptitude. Like yeah. you have a um, you have a skill for working with electronics. Yeah. Um, not that I said you said you were kind of influenced by your stepdad in mm-hmm. a way, but you have to learn that shit somewhere. Did you learn yeah. that in school or? Uh, yeah, well, I had like a, a really clutch, um, professor when I was doing my, like, I had this, okay. So I had this chip on my shoulder. I was like, I didn't want to go to art school because I felt like, oh man, like that's just a cop out. Like, you know, you don't have to do the math. You don't have the rigor. Right. And so after, you know, I, in high school, after I was a martial artist, I had to, um, Anyways, I had to work so hard to get good at that. And then it taught me this level of discipline that I was just like, I have to apply this to my brain. Like I got to make my brain work as good as my body did at that time. And so, um, I was just like, I'm not going to flake out and just go to art school and skip all the math and stuff. I'm going to actually do it. So I started, yeah, I like took the long road. Luckily I met, um, my partner at the time she was like a Chilean immigrant and she was like kind of like a, she was struggling. We were very similar. We were both punks. We both were artists. And so her and I were able to go to school together and sort of help each other, like get educated, uh, which, you know, like neither one of us could have done on our own. So, so, so it worked out anyways, the point I'm trying to get to was, I took this long road through school and I didn't know how to express. I couldn't find a program that worked for me. And so I was like, I want to be an artist and I want to be a designer, but I have this interest in like electronics and all that. Anyway, San Francisco state had a program called the CIA program, which stands for conceptual information arts. And one of the, the professor that the director of the program was one of the first computer artists named Steve Wilson. And, uh, he was, yeah, making stuff with early computers, Commodore 64s and stuff. And, you know, and so he had this amazing program, uh, that would bring in artists working with technology. Um, and I was just like, that sounds great. Like, let's do it. And, uh, yeah, I worked with, I learned all kinds of like crazy computer stuff. And then I had this one professor named Cal Spelitich, who's, you know, San Francisco guy. He's originally from Austin. And, you know, the other thing that really hit me about him is he was an old rock and roller. He used to like make these robots, these kinetic like sculptures and he was the opening act for the butthole surfers. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he was also in this movie called, um, uh, at the time, I think he was going to grad school and there's a movie called slacker, yeah. which was this very, speaking of like time and space, it's this movie that like, it feels like it's one shot and it just follows all these people around yeah. link letter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so movie. it like, it really like, like, what does time mean? You know? And yeah. so anyways, he was in that, well, he had this great way of teaching people about um, electronics. And one of our projects was go to the store, find some kind of like electronic device and bring it to class next time. And we're like, okay. So we did it. And then he's like, the assignment was just like, take it apart. And so we take it apart. And then like, he would like go through everybody and say, okay, this is this, like this works off of AC power oh, and this goes great. to this and it transforms this. And, you know, 
this is like a that's toaster so huge. And, and in the toaster you have this wire that heats up and what is that oh that's resistance wire you know and it you use it you know as like a, you can use it as a fuse or you know if you want to make like a hot knife or whatever yeah. and so he coupled that with um like welding and kinetic like you know steel sculpture because that was his background so that's what sort of gave me my entrance into like feeling confident about working with electronics and then from there i just started getting interested in in stuff you know man i have really I, I think back we've been meeting so many people who have all these great backgrounds uh to your point about having been a quitter when you were a kid mm -hmm. i feel like uh i may still be a quitter i don't know but the um the things that i missed out on i was totally that kid who took shit apart yeah I took everything apart i loved yeah. it but i had no idea and never got the right information or sought out the right sort of wisdom yeah. to tell me what any of those components did i just liked looking at them and yeah you know, the the magic of them was never spoiled by any information <laughs> i know yeah i used That's to do that too it was like really like i the first thing i would do is like take apart all my toys you know look at how what they were made of like rubik's cubes i would just like oh, i'll just take it apart and put it back together like why solve it like you could just take it apart and you know yeah. and so yeah i was i was a big advocate of that too and i didn't know how things worked either as a kid i was just like really interested i guess model building was like huge for me too like there's something about like l developing a spatial brain mm -hmm. you know there's like it like obviously like i think everyone's kind of clued in now that like intelligence is kind of subjective you know a lot of people have different things that they um, that they specialize in. And I think a teacher's job ultimately is to see where that student is balanced, you know, and what they excel at and stuff. And, um, I mean, thank God, like in high school, I was a mess, man. Like I moved around so much. I never had a peer group. I was always just like, yeah, like kind of a lone wolf, you know, I was just like, I don't know what to do. And, uh, socializing has always been a problem. So, I think my saving grace was in high school. The two things was like finding martial arts and then finding some like weirdo, like art friends. Mm -hmm. and I had two buddies that were just like, you know, we made movies together. We looked at like comic books and like horror movies and we're making special effects. And, yeah. you know, we did a lot of drugs too, but you know, that's like, I think those were the things that sort of like saved me from, you know, yeah, like going to jail or something. Your actual bomb shelter radio yeah. is in a little trailer. What's it called? Valentine? Yeah, the Lucille, Lucille Valentine. Valentine. So that one. Yeah, actually, in fact, okay, so you started off asking, did you start this project in Memphis? Yeah. Well, the, the thing I made in Memphis was like I ran around when I got there to do the project at uh, um, America. Mm -hmm. I got the idea, oh, let's just make a, like a topper 
you know, you'd put on the back of a truck. So I just ran around Memphis and like found all the two by fours and crap I could find from like work sites or dumpsters. Then I just built this, you know, mock-up trailer out of, uh, out of whatever I found. Um, and that kind of like led to the idea. I was like, Oh, why not just make a trailer? And so I just found an old like Chevy LUV. I think it's like a 1978, you know how people will turn those into like, rubbish trailers or whatever just cut off the body Mm -hmm. so i found one of those for like 200 bucks from a guy and bought it and then i just fixed it up and put a topper on it and you know made it so it would stand up and i load all my gear in the back of it and then we'll just you know it's like been evolving over time now i run it off of batteries like in an inverter yeah so now i'm like thinking about solar and like Mm -hmm. how to you know make it recharge itself and it's great yeah so it's this kind of constant work in progress, but I'm I'm almost thinking that I want to go like Lucille Valentine 2.0. Yeah, because now I'm just thing. like, well, instead of hauling a trailer around, why don't I just get an old like Winnebago lunchbox or something, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, and just uh, do the tour in one of those. It kind of makes sense in a strange way. Well, there's a lot to be said for fuel economy, man. Oh uh, man, it's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Lucille Valentine, it's weird. It's like I feel like it doesn't cost me any extra gas yeah. doing that one. Yeah. It's like I built it. It's almost like a wing from an old, like, you know, B-52 or something. Yeah. I kind of modeled it after that. It's slick, man. I like the little topper, the top on it. It's got yeah. that kind of rounded. It almost looks like a vintage trailer type yeah, of thing. Yeah, yeah. That's what we were going for. I was like, I want it to look like an old Airstream, but yeah. also like an airplane wing, you know, something, something that, like, kind of looked like an old like like cold war plane yeah you know so that's why it's like steel colored and everything yeah now you do woodworking projects as well don't you you build oh yeah wood i well. mean i don't like you, you know what you say that i'm like all over the place because i literally am like my hand is in everything there's yeah. not one thing that i don't do like i sew i make my own clothes and jackets and that's like great. embroideries and stuff you know um, you learned how to do all that in school? <laughs> yeah. No, I had a friend that taught me. I, I had a key friend that taught me how to make patterns. Oh, that's cool. And then, so, um, yeah, I learned that. And that sort of, like, you learn one thing, right? Like, taking that class from Cal. Mm-hmm. Where I was like, oh, all you got to do is take it apart. And, like, if you know a little bit, if you have a little bit of knowledge, it's not that hard yeah. to like learn a bunch of other stuff. Well, you learn the art of deconstruction. And yeah. if you can break things down to their most simple components, components yeah. the, the, the object of putting it back together or understanding how something similar to it works is mm-hmm. it's really helpful. Yeah, I do a lot of woodworking too. I mean, that's kind of my primary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my old friends, Joel... We were doing a project together. We were roommates for a while. He was kind of on having hard times, so he moved into my place, and we started just working on projects together. And he was a he would you know he was like a construction guy. Yeah. And so I was like, Joel, let's make some like clubhouses. Like let's like tap into that like treehouse, yeah. you know, kid thing. But then let's like merge that with like prepper survivalist stuff. <laughs> and so we made like a couple different. Um, yeah, like structures, you know, mm-hmm. one was called the stronghold and it was like a two story kind of like, it looked like kind of a, the, the, you remember Alf from that yeah. old show Alf? It looked yeah. like Alf's head, but Whoa. it had a drawbridge on it, you know, and it, it was all about like, um, 
teaching ourselves how to do things. We get an idea and like, okay, how do we how do we do that? Yeah. And how do we make it out of just crap we find? That's great. So that led to the second one, which was like um, a crashed airplane. And so we made like the tail end of a, a plane sticking out of the side of this gallery. Whoa. And uh, the, that was for a show called Romb- uh, a Zombie Proof House. And so... Yeah, we did a bunch of stuff with that. Made like a like a zombie movie with a bunch of like I would teach summer school to mm-hmm. high school kids, and so we made a zombie movie. <laughs> wow! So yeah, you're with just whatever it takes. You're you're building, creating. Yeah, I'm not really scared. You know, what I mean, yeah. I'm like the kind of artist is just like, what does it need? Right. What is it? Well, what? that leads me to the next thing because we're in the most one of the most expensive cities on yeah. the planet. Yeah, and you're making art. Yeah, and uh, well, I want to ask you one your thoughts on what the fuck is happening to the city. Like, what do you oh, yeah. how do you feel about that? But before that, I want to ask, um, like, how are you making it? Like, how's it? How's it work? Yeah, how's it working? How it's are you? Mag- I don't know. It's magic, man. Like, um, I get w- weird, random requests. I mean, okay, so let me back up. I, what I've learned, I haven't worked a real job since I was like. 26 maybe i was like a silkscreen printer yeah and um i got sick of it i was like i can't fucking do this anymore i took a job right out of high school because or not out of high school out of uh my undergrad work because i was just like dude i'm i gotta work man i'm like how am i gonna do this and at the time the city was still expensive so i just took a job but at some point i got sick of it and i was like all right if i'm gonna be an artist i really got to dedicate myself to doing that mm-hmm. and so i just got really disciplined about like applying to to things like trying to anything i did it had to be art related or it had to push the art career forward yeah and so um and then i learned another valuable lesson actually from cal my electronics teacher he was like look like whenever you take a deal or you make a deal with somebody like money isn't always the thing right like if you're gonna make a deal with a gallery or whatever sometimes it's like you gotta weigh in like are they how much publicity are they gonna do for you like who are the network can you use this as a jumping point to another thing yeah um like are they gonna make any like uh you know book an artist book or something you know what's the potential of you know, sales. So there's just like a, a ton of different things. So, um, it got me thinking about the career in a different way. Like yeah. it wasn't like all about money. It was yeah. actually about like, yeah, like resource. Right. And, um, yeah. Taking that mentality of job equals paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. That doesn't always translate. In no. Like, in, in fact, else, yeah. that's like a very proletariat way to think about shit. Yeah. And you got to like strip yourself of that got to. mindset. You know, mm-hmm. you have to like think like successful people are like really good at like volunteering their time, mm-hmm. like networking, hanging out with like people that are going to be successful. Right. Mm-hmm. Like the proletariat's problem <laughs> is we all like, w- like sit around and are like, fuck, let's go drink beer. You know, and like, right. you, you don't do things that are going to push you forward. You do things that, that are going to just like make you feel better. Yeah, placate or, or, or try to, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're pr- yeah. Instead of pr- pursuing satisfaction, you just pursue happiness. And happiness can be found watching Sunday football or right, some shit right. like that. Yeah. So 
I don't know. Like I've kind of learned that that's how I've learned to survive in the city is just like, yeah, I'm broke, but guess what? I do my taxes, man. Like, you know, a, a big conversation we've been having recently is like, man, you know, we got friends that are like getting older. Like we're 40 something now. And some of them still don't do their taxes, man. Or like they don't, you know, they depend too much on like how they survived younger. Right. Like I think when you're in your twenties, yeah you need to have a scene right mm -hmm. you need to be able to fit into something but that's not going to sustain you as you get older like you have to be a little bit more savvy i think mm -hmm. and um so i don't know like i still parlay with like a lot of young people like i think that's one of the skills i've learned is like yeah you know if you're creative you, you sort of have this like youthful you know like when you're young there's a lot more room for you to think Mm -hmm. creatively as you get older and your responsibilities start to stack up you like you start you think more rigidly right yeah, certainly can yeah you certainly can yeah but as a professional artist like it's my job to stay flexible mm -hmm. and you know to like yeah like weigh things out like how how like this thing i did in um you know, the growlery residency this summer was just like, this is a great opportunity, even though I'm not making a ton of money out of it. Like, the, you know, being able to tap back into San Francisco yeah. to like uh, invite other artists to like push something forward. Right. You know, I think that the, the long term, um, uh, whatever profits, I guess you want to use that language, yeah. will, they'll, make themselves known well it's interesting you're it, it strikes me that your sort of take on income and work and stuff is almost kind of similar to your take on music and yeah. sound and how you put something out you know it's just i'm gonna put this thing down and yeah. let it go out yeah into into the ether yeah and that's a that's a really cool way to look at it <laughs> Well, the other thing too is like, um, you know, in a natural way, and you know, I am from the Bay Area, so there is a level of like, I can't escape the new age thinking or something. But um, I think one of the things is um, seasonal, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe this is like more, maybe this isn't so new agey, but like what I realized by like throwing off the shackles of like a job, right? Mm -hmm. Which is very regimented. You work five days a week, you get two weeks vacation every year, right? You get all this amount of money taken away in taxes, right? You don't have to think about that stuff. Like, you, you know, and maybe you'll get some holiday pay, right? right. So your life becomes very regimented mm -hmm. when you do that. What I learned is like if you let go of that and you start thinking seasonally, like stuff happens at different time of the year. You know, yeah. like right now, there's no work for me. I'm just like, how I don't know what's going on. Like I'm just, but I know that in the spring and the summer and the fall, there's much more stuff that comes down the pipe. Yeah. You know. And uh, I don't plan on it. It just 
comes. It just works out. Yeah, it just works out. So tell me about your tour. What What's up with the tour? Well, um, we're planning, um, let's see, 2018 has been kind of weird. Like we did a motel tour earlier this summer. Lucille is in Nebraska right now. Oh, really? And so I'm going to bring it out some point in the spring. Um, but uh, yeah, this year has been defined by doing like this new idea of just like traveling to motels and setting up like the radios and motels. So we did, I think, five motels this year. Uh-huh. And I think this winter we're probably going to go out and do a few like round two of that. Yeah. Um, and uh, and then uh, in yeah, the Midwest, in the Midwest. Yeah. Maybe Ooh. maybe down in like this. Well, down in. um like southwest like bisbee austin i don't know we'll see good choice how far we go yeah i think that's better for the winter yeah but that's um, the good thing about being flexible is you don't have to go where the weather's shitty (laughs) oh man yeah no offense midwest but man fuck the winter oh it sucks i know i've been out there and i don't don't, i'm not into it i definitely like the fair weather of the west coast yeah, take it when I can get it. We don't have to devolve into talking about weather, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you're gonna uh, hit the road. I love that. Say, so what, what's the range? How far can you broadcast? Well, I I usually I'm doing like smaller. Like I use like a 15 watt transmitter, mm-hmm. which if you get your conditions right, it goes about like a mile okay. in any direction. So if you're doing stuff in like urban places, it's pretty good, mm-hmm. you know. Like, um, do you need lots of elevation? Do you have to like, yeah, it helps the more you get up. So FM radio works. It's like line of sight. Right. So if you want your, your frequency, you want to give it the best chance. Like you put it up high and then it can spread out as far as it can go Mm -hmm. without the interference of buildings and stuff. Um, so when I go out, what I'll do is I have a, an antenna that I put on like a telescoping pole mm-hmm. it goes about 20 feet in the air. Okay. And so ideally what I do is I find a building and I run a line to the top of the building and then I put my antenna, I telescope it up and then broadcast yeah. off the top of a building. Okay. And, um, uh, yeah. And then the trailer, you know, is just the hub. So yeah. usually what I do is I'll try to find a space where it's just like they have a backyard or some place where I can set up and we can host events and stuff over yeah. like a week or a week or two weeks, you know, whatever seems to be. Now, do you have speakers? I guess it kind of what you can't really broadcast speaker wise because it'll pick up on the mic. Yeah, I have like a monitoring system mm-hmm. that I build, uh, build into it. Um, and, you know, mics is like a, one of your directional mics. So as long as I don't have the speakers pointing, pointing right at it, yeah, right. we're okay. We're okay. <laughs> I, I just, I think of that, like that old thing where somebody calls in on the radio show and they've got the radio on. Yeah, no, like, hey, turn, turn off your radio. radio. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I need to get one of those. I, that's the thing I need to bring back is like the, the call in. in. Yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd I want to do like a Friday night, like love line or something. I think that would be real fun. I don't know if I've ever told this story on the show, but I, I love radio mm-hmm. and I went to school for journalism. I didn't, mm. uh, speaking of being a quitter, I did not get the degree mm. in journalism, but I was really into the idea of broadcast journalism. Yeah. And a, as a child, I had, um, I had one of those little radios and I would tape radio, you know, radio. tunes off the radio. Oh, I, I love would, that. But I'd leave a little space in the beginning to go back and do my little intro. You know? Nice. And uh, I, I called in uh, to this radio station in Memphis asking for um say hey i'd like to hear when a man loves a woman i wanted that to be my lead-in song right oh this my whole god thing. and i and the guy's like okay man sure whatever and he's like 
kind of laughing at me because I got this prepubescent little girl voice. Yeah. So uh, he, you know, I get ready to record. I'm just waiting for him to finally introduce that tune. And he goes, all right, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is by a special request, Michael Bolton with Man Loves a Woman. I was oh, like, no. oh, fuck. So I called back. I, called, I was like, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. Hey, uh, it's me again. He's like, yeah, what do you want? I was like, Percy Sledge, man. Yeah. Can you please put on the Percy Sledge version of that tune? He's like, are you kidding me right now? Yeah. I was like, no, please, man. That I hate Michael Bolton. Please don't play that song. So he actually got back on. He's like, hey, look, I'm sorry to do this. I would never play the same song twice, but... I, when I say a little kid just called me and gave me hell for playing Michael yeah. Bolton, a little kid. A little kid. And he did. He like totally played that tune, so I got it. Uh, wow. Years later, I was bartending at Tsunami uh-huh. uh, in Memphis, and that same guy, uh, I saw him as a DJ, and he was, had a much better job at that point. He wasn't yeah. like the late night guy taking yeah, a call yeah. in. I was like, hey, man, do you remember one day? Kid. And he's like, yeah, I tell that story all the time. I was like, that was me. Mm. <laughs> he's like, you motherfucker. Anyhow, that's but classic. So, man. so yeah, I love I love radio, and that's one of the things I like about podcasts. Is now I have a fake radio show that mm-hmm. I can propagate and pretend to be, you know, like a radio person. But yeah, the the idea of having, I mean, with the podcast, it's meant to be archival. But who knows how long this will be around? Hey, buddy. Hey, yeah. but the the fun of it for me is like, I mean, we use a lot of music. Yeah. that I'm probably not supposed to use. Oh, yeah. 100%. I'll get shut down at some point. Yeah. But um, for me, like it's it's almost like songwriting with people I think are brilliant and interesting. Yeah. And I'm, I'm making these little homage things to people that I like and uh, using music to tell that story, whether it's like thematically relevant or atmospherically yeah. relevant. And it's such a fun thing to be able to do mm-hmm. and then have the mics around I don't know, man. It's a it's a it's a great thing you're doing. I'm oh, a little yeah. jealous. Man. No, they, no. I like it. I like. I, I yeah. I I like the podcast too. Like I've been growing real fond of them. You know. Um. And, you know, I think there is room. Like there there is this kind of like uh, the idea you had to be at a certain time and place. I mean, there the the problem with the podcast is that like you can just listen to it whenever. Right. You don't have to be there. Yeah. Um. But like it's kind of fun. Like I like to listen to like comedian. Like Bill Burr does like a podcast. <laughs> rant thing, rant I just fucking love it. Like yeah. I always want to hear oh, what's Nia up to today. Like where is he now? You know. And so you get like his Tuesday or his Monday and his Thursday is when he does it. Right. So it it has this way of like giving you some re- like reliability, mm-hmm. um, which I think is like really really important you know like yeah. for people just as the human condition to be yeah. like okay i can expect you have something to look forward to right um and so i think as a producer of those kind of things um it's a it's a good job you know yeah. i definitely want to do it more you know like yeah. trying i've done some incredible things man like i've worked with the grateful dead like you know, I built two giant, like they have a New Year's party every year. Well, I shouldn't say Grateful Dead. I should say Further. Mm-hmm. They're like current band. But they hired me a couple times, you know, to they do this New Year's Eve show. And they just like, were like, can you build a dragon for us? We want a dragon <laughs> to fly over the audience, right? Yeah. And land on stage and want it to breathe smoke. You know, like, yeah, we can do that. So I bid that twice for them. You That's know? great. 
and we got the VIP treatment, you know, and we went up and like hung out in all the places in the Bill Graham Civic Auditorium that you're not supposed to hang out. And I watched wow. them play live behind the stage, you wow. know, and just like Neil Young invited me to do one of his videos, you know, and I was just like, sure. But we didn't act fast enough. Like, you know, I think in rock and roll, you got to be like on point. Yeah. Somebody says they want something like the next day, you better have something. Something. Yeah. 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 And uh so that one fell through but I don't know like it's weird how this thing works, you know, like trying to make media and being a player in it and the characters you run across, you know. Um for example, just a quick another anecdote about that is um antidote that you say it. um <laughs> I was in Omaha. I did a radio show there, right? And uh, I met, I, I set up at the only punk venue, all ages punk venue, in Omaha, and it was such a fun experience because there was like the venue side, and then there was this other sort of gallery, sort of like multi-use space. And so I set up a radio station in the, in the like non-venue side and i ran a mic and so every night they'd have shows and i would broadcast the live events and oh, so nice. my place became like the clubhouse right yeah so people would come and hang out anyways i learned about this band digital leather right and digital oh, leather is name. like a, they're just an awesome band and now like the faint like omaha is a very rich music tradition right and i just learned all about it anyways fast forward to like now like i have a roommate right she was dating this guy and uh one day he like pokes his head in my room and i was listening to something he's like oh i love that band and i was like yeah i love that yeah that's cool man oh wow you're into all this punk stuff yeah and then uh another day i'm talking about mma stuff and he pokes his head in he starts talking to me about like oh did you see that fight and i was like dude you're a punk and you're into martial arts <laughs> like you're my boy right so anyways i said i said listen man i'm doing this radio show you got to come and dj man bring some records and sure enough he did and through our friendship I uh, learned, I played Digital Leather one. Or we were talking about music, and I was like, yeah, man, I learned about this band, Digital Leather. Yeah. And he's like, I was in Digital Leather. What? Yeah. I was like, holy shit, man. Like, wow, what a small world, small man. And I told world. him all about Omaha, and he's like, how's so-and-so doing? And wow. Just, you know, so I don't know. Like, it's funny how the world is. Mm -hmm. It's like you'll meet people that, like, you need to meet you know, sometimes. Absolutely. And uh, you'll you'll find yourself just, yeah, like who would have thought, like I would have grown up with a father or like a stepdad who was a radio guy who would bootleg Grateful Dead stuff, right? And then 30 years down the road or 20 years, 25 years down the road, I'm like making the midnight magic for Grateful Dead. Yeah. You know what I mean? Who would have thought? Or that I would do a weird show in an obscure venue in Omaha and like, two or three years later i meet you know one like, of the guys from the band yeah the, yeah yeah who's like my pal yeah you know <laughs> it's super weird there's something about like what you said making yourself flexible yeah and sort of up for it yeah yeah you know and and taking that proletariat leap you know yeah, yeah. leaping off that 
what you would think of as something safe yeah into something that you is you know sure yeah this could totally fall on its face yeah you know there's problems waiting around the corner yeah on every project but mm-hmm. the the times when it does not fall on its face yeah are so worth it you yeah, know yeah. the things that you get out of having leapt yeah. are so much more worth it than the whatever you lose from the fuck-ups. Yeah. Because fuck-ups happen even when you're being safe. It's true. And that's, you know, I, I run into this a lot trying to explain what we're doing to people. They're like, oh, dude, don't go to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> you know, don't go down there. You know, and, and which uh, people aren't wrong about being afraid of things, you know, but mm-hmm. it, it's not a good motivator. No. You know, and what motivates me is moments like this mm-hmm. and the people that we've met and the things that I hope to do in the future. That's yeah. a motivator. Yeah. Like I can't be motivated by fear. You know, no. it's just not, it's not a good way to get a, get along. I don't think. No, I don't, I don't think it is. Yeah. I think fear is uh you know, there's like the whole nature and nurture. Yeah. I did, you know, I did a lot of like teaching and I'm trying to get away from it, but I had this like amazing old hippie lady who was like the, our director when I first started doing it. And we learned a lot about like nonviolent communication, right? Mm-hmm. And um, nature versus nurture uh, training and, and stuff. And one of the things that she talked about, like, um, you know, working with young minds, right? Is like, you know, our brains uh, as like we're not fully developed until we're about 25 right right? like before that we make really shitty decisions about stuff like that level you know that that thing inside of our head that like you know has like the consequence brain doesn't really form until we're actually well into our adulthood perceiving mortality yeah all that sort of stuff yeah yeah so you know i learned right away just like having to like sort of be a proponent of like oh nurture people right like don't let that like don't beat the um creativity out of them right like try to nurture that um is is something that like we're not really it's it's a very progressive way mm-hmm. to sort of teach people how to live their lives you yeah. know and you know i hate to say it but like something like rich people like people who are wealthy mm-hmm. like they kind of have these things in the bag you know i mean you, you mean? can make this what I, what i mean is like like they're taught from a very young age that like they're supposed to be these movers and shakers, right? right? They're supposed to be the people that are like making jobs for people who are innovators, right? Yeah. So they're in a way they're conditioned. Like maybe they have a lot of pressure from whatever, you know, mm. daddy gave me my first yacht when I was 18, you know, <laughs> like I, I'm not, I'm being a terrible person, but like, <laughs> I think there's that side of things, but I also think there's another side where it's just like, yo, you're taught from a young age that like your job isn't to go slave away in a factory. Like you're a failure if you have a stable thing like that. Your job is to like go out and like, yeah, make the fucking factory. We're making a boss. We're not making a a cog in the wheel. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's all this dumb pride that comes with like, growing up a working class person you know and um the working class hero yeah concept yeah well i mean the idea of pride in any of it can be perceived as dumb you know Mm -hmm. being proud like being proud that i'm some sort of wandering moron out doing odd jobs like i'm not proud no (laughs) Uh, you know i i don't know that i'm proud of anything i may be proud of like my nephews and nieces because they're cool but I didn't really have anything to do with that. They're just, I'm just like proud to be related to them. Yeah. But like, yeah, I see what you're saying. I mean, 
taken pride in any uh anything that has to do with like that aspect of your work yeah is sort of empty you know Mm -hmm. but so long as you're doing something that you feel you can genuinely feel is like good and you feel good about we've Mm -hmm. met a lot of people that have been um they talk about like having a sense of purpose yeah or feeling like they're doing something that is much bigger than them yeah you know it's hard to get that sense when you're uh, making sandwiches or yeah. whatever, whatever it is, you know, not to diss the sandwich maker, but yeah, you know, if if it's not giving you that deep joy, yeah, then you you have that opportunity to look at it from another perspective, yeah, you know? like not necessarily judging yourself for it, but just well, like, it's so hard to do. I mean, all all you have is like you know time, really. That's as an artist, like that's really what I have, right? Yeah. Or that's my like most critical. Um, uh, um, currency in yeah. a way and so one of the things I try to do is just create as much time as I can for myself because I know man I get grumpy as hell like when I'm not like able to work on my things or I feel like there's too much pressure from like external forces for sure. I yeah. just turn miserable Yeah, and I think if you're selling yourself away right to a job or something for like yeah like 8-10 hours a day like where are you going to find the motivation to like pursue any of these things, these these greater yeah. purpose things, yeah. you know. Um, and it's a leap, man. It is well, a it's total a super leap. leap. And you also, this is the other thing. I won't go into this too much, but what I've realized is that, like, man, friends and family. There's been a lot of people that, like, you wouldn't expect to have like a negative reaction to you taking that leap. Like, I remember when I got into grad school, I lost buddies because they were like, what the fuck are you doing? Really? Like, why are you doing that? Like, we don't get it. I'm just like, what are you shitting on me for? Right? Or, you know, like even to this day, my dad is just like, I don't know how you do it. You know? And for a long time, he was just like, you're not my son. You know? Oh, shit. Yeah. It was like a real, like, challenge. You know, it's just over the course of the years, he sort of come around to being like, well, Josh is making it. Like, somehow it works. Wow. I can never do it, but he seems to do it, you yeah. know? So, anyways, I think that, like, you have to have a certain level of, like, self-confidence and, like, you know. Or or get into it when you're pre-25 and you don't <laughs> quite yeah. get the consequence connection. Yeah. I, I, I know that feeling of, like, having a, a father who's not totally on board with whatever it is that yeah. you think you're doing. That You said something earlier about teaching people how to live their lives or how to be. I'm not sure that you can necessarily teach people how to be, but like what you're doing, yeah. it's a um, it's like an example of. Yeah. You know, it's like like you're saying, here's here's how to do it. Yeah. You know, here's how it's done, kids. You're like uh, just sort of unjudgmentally saying, here's what I do. Yeah, yeah. And here's how I live. And it looks pretty fun. Man. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's it's always an adventure. You mm-hmm. know, I'm sure you're aware of that now, like doing the Monkey Tooth podcast and stuff. It's, <laughs> it's like, an adventure. you never know, man. Your dog might get bit by a rattlesnake because yeah. your fucking transmission goes out. You know what I mean? There's, <laughs> right. You're going to hit bumps along the way. For sure. But, uh, you know, you always like, I don't know. I believe that people can rise to the occasion, you know. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you need a little friction to... uh you know, help you yeah. find out what it is that you need to be doing. For sure. For sure. I mean, that, the idea of like things ever being perfect. Yeah. I don't even know what that would mean, but it seems like it would be boring. Yeah. You know, like if things just always worked out, like where's the tension? Yeah, you know, that's, that's true. You need something to push against. Yeah. 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 
I think as you get older, like you, you maybe learn where, like, what are the positive frictions mm-hmm. versus the things like some people never learn, <laughs> like, st- like, like internal stuff, like being stubborn or yeah, like, you know, yeah. I've definitely had friends who are just like so stubborn. I'm just like, if you would just pick up a book and read, <laughs> right. like, shit would be different for you, yeah. you know, or if you would just like let go of some like weird pride you have, you know. I want to get to the point where I'm able to give myself advice. Yeah. You know, because I can, part of what we're doing on our journey is we're looking for our blind spots. Mm-hmm. And you can't, by nature of blind spots, see them because you're blind to them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you, anytime I feel like I need or feel that impulse to judge someone else for whatever it is that they're doing, if I'm yeah. like, God, if he would just read a book, I'd flag that. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Do I do that? Yeah. So I'm almost using everyone else as a mirror to yeah. see what's fucked up about me. If that's, yeah. I don't know. That's pretty narcissistic, I guess. But, no, it's more like but, a codependent trait. Yeah, <laughs> very codependent. Well, I know. I just because I'm a codependent, like I know that, like I, I that, need. Yeah. I can't. The 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 friction I have is that, like, I can't. Um, I have a hard time developing my own uh, understanding my own emotions. Hmm. So you use other people as a mirror. Yeah. Right. And then so if like so and so is like having issues, all of a sudden those are my issues. Right. And I spend all my energy on that. Hmm. So anyways, I think well not to di- I'm not a doctor. I don't yeah. know how to diagnose, <laughs> no. but like Thank you Dr. Josh. I'm yeah. Sure. Uh, this is uh, yeah, my pay my secretary at the door. <laughs> no, just anyways. No, I think that uh, it's important to actually have a little bit of introspection, you know? Yeah. Um, it's not too much. Don't think too hard about it. Don't think too hard. Yeah, don't yeah. be too hard on yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah, every, uh, whatever. I don't know. What are we talking about? Who knows? We're on. That's the good thing about a podcast. Is <laughs> yeah, You can just yeah. ramble on. Well, I, I want to, um, how can people find out about what you're doing? Bomb Shelter Radio. Do you oh, have yeah, a website? So, yeah. Um, well, you can go Josh Short USA. Okay. And that shows you .com. That shows you like all, that's like my personal Everything website. Everything that you're up to. Okay. Yeah, the art page. Um, but if you want to listen online, um, I do live shows um, on Mixler, Bomb Shelter Radio. Um and it really depends on the time of the year and what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I don't ever know. But if you want to like um, listen to the archive, you can find those on SoundCloud yeah. or um, iTunes. I yeah. archive all my stuff there. And I have shows that go back to like 2015 on there. Mm-hmm. I think the stuff I did in Memphis might be some of the first stuff, Okay, which is really raw. Yeah, it's like I barely knew what I was doing. Yeah, well, so, it's it's tricky to tell a story with music. You yeah, know, to get to that point where you've, I mean, I'm still working on that for sure. Yeah, I will be indefinitely. Yeah. But so, give me give me an example of like a, I don't know, a couple artists or a couple of tunes you might string together. Um, well, let's see. So I always like. Um, I mean, it depends. You know, like it's it's ever evolving now, but. Um, um, I like, I'll do stuff like, oh, like when I really get going, I like really, um, like hot, uh, like rock and roll mm-hmm. stuff like that, that backbeat, like early, like Chuck Berry yeah. or, uh, you know, little Richard, um, yeah. uh, um, what's his name? Roscoe Gordon, the guy who did red hot. I don't, I can't remember his name of that. I'll string some of that stuff together. Um, oftentimes, like, 
yeah it'll it'll i'll just move through waves of different genres so you're not t- you're not doing like a punk show or a blues show or a rock show or yeah it's more it's more like a you, mix. You, they're running into things but i'll definitely like keep there there'll be a, a line that runs through things yeah you know um untethered to any particular genre yeah just, yeah and it, sometimes it'll be like oh i went to this weird you know record or this like antique store in arkansas and here's what i found you know yeah i'll do stuff like that um, sometimes and that's a lot of fun or if like you know lady finger pop over there she she'll want to like play like old i don't know switched on bach or something that's you know? a great like, name lady finger pop is courtney's well that's what we've been calling her like we she her she sometimes she's like you know dj bubbles in my bath or like (laughs) dj yeah shaking finger pop what which is the name of junior walker but yeah now it's like i just lady finger pop is sort of like what i've been calling her lately so you'll have guest djs come on yeah and do spots do you have are you what's your are you just joshua oh i have a bunch of them i'm like yeah i'm like a i'm a serial killer man i have like many different aliases like big daddy bodang is one or captain t-bone short all right or uh dj catfish fry catfish fry yeah or grandma badger grandma badger is that another one of yours yeah that's that's one of mine that's one of yours well, it's like I try to, or yeah, doctor, like doctor transmission is yeah. another one. I like it. Um, yeah, I just you know, and sometimes those personas will be uh, if I'm playing certain sty- types of music or something, you know, like I'll do like sometimes I'll just go and I'll do like a captain's log. Oh, and yeah. that'll be Captain T-Bone short, and that's like just very candid. Just like usually I'm just like surly, like you know just talking about stuff that bugs me or whatever <laughs> i'll just do these captain's logs and i like it sometimes i'm the management you know and oftentimes i'll do psas from the management nice um well i'm gonna go back and listen to some some uh some shit and i really hope i get to see you uh in march yeah yeah you know, well let's make it tour. happen let's keep talking about it and uh and i'll try to i'll try to wrap my spring tour into it yeah. so you know like i like i need to have destinations you know yeah. and it's fun i've done a uh one thing down in southern california so it'd be fun to add a couple more stops right on mm-hmm. well man thanks for coming up to to larkspur and chatting with me in the in the boat apartment i love it yeah this is a lot of fun i'm glad we made it happen heck yeah man all right cheers cheers see you soon You got to come and see Tapping time and humming unknown lines I know I look just fine It's coming over me It's music It's music Oh, it's a Thank you for listening to the Monkey Tooth Podcast. 
If you haven't already, or it's been a while, check out our website, mtp.dog. There's plenty of information there. An About tab with a little bio on Andrew, myself, and our dog Pele. There's also a Van Build tab detailing how we did our van conversion. A Journal tab and we, as an Andrew, are doing our best to keep that up to date. And last but not least, a Contact tab where you can leave your thoughts, suggestions, or questions. You can also contact us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram, Monkey Tooth Podcast. If you would like to donate and or subscribe to the cause, you can go to Patreon and GoFundMe at Monkey Tooth Podcast. Patreon is not just a place to subscribe. We post lots of content there as well. We greatly appreciate each and every one of you. Love to all. <laughs>